Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. DMAC, Rachel Veal. DMAC, I for- I had my juice and I forgot it in the other room. <sighs> it's coffee break, Rachel. I know, but I'm not even really a coffee break. girl. But I put it in a coffee mug. Wait, so wait, it's, You're not it's- the coffee girl. You're the host of Coffee Break. I know, but I'm not a big coffee drinker. I'm a good chai latte kind of girl, but... Why Why is this not the chai latte show? Because Coffee I... Break sounds better, but we have you for coffee, so it's totally fine. I just need to get my mug over there. Uh, but welcome in, everybody. Happy Thursday. The Broncos losing a key member of their defense, which we're going to get into. Um, we're also going to be having... Uh, Chandra Char join in too. And then we've got a guest from Houston who's going to talk about the Texans. We're done talking about last week. We're over it. We're moving on to the Texans. Uh, but yeah, let's throw back up that stat because Justin Simmons is out. He played 4,359 of a possible 4,365 defensive snaps. That is 99.86% since the start of the 2018 season. This is a huge, huge blow for the Broncos. There were a couple names we said when Tim Patrick went down that if the Broncos lost these players, it would hurt them. And Justin Simmons, for me on that list, was one of them, Mac. It's brutal. I mean, he's one of the guys. The question I'll ask you is, I said the loss of Tim Patrick would cost them one game. Mm-hmm. How many games will the loss of Justin Simmons cost the Denver Broncos, Rachel? I would probably say one as well. I probably would say one as well. So if he's out for four games... Which game are you losing because of this? Are you losing to Houston? You losing to San Fran? You losing to the Raiders? And oh my gosh, I actually forget who's after the Raiders. Um, um, I can't remember either. I was going to say. I can but to be honest, my game was, I was going to say the Raiders. You're going to say the Raiders? Yeah. So yeah, I, don't... I mean, that was probably going to be a tough one no matter what. Um, That's the yeah, it's a bummer, man. You know, I don't even know. It was you the Colts, know, the Chargers, and the Jets following the Raiders. So sorry, who is it after the Raiders? Colts, Jets, Colts? and or Colts, Chargers, and Jets. Excuse me. Right. Yeah. yeah um, you know, it's a tricky one. Like, what one of those games were they going to win that they were going to lose? You know, I'll say this: I think the schedule lines up that I don't think the loss of Simmons means all that much against Davis Mills with the Texans or. Yep. Um, with Trey Lance of the Niners. And you know what? It probably doesn't matter that much with Matt Ryan of the Colts. It probably impacts you much more with, um, with Derek Carr and the, and the Raiders, but that, that arguably was going to be a tough game for you anyways. But, you know, when we do this every year, Rachel, we look at the road schedule and say, well, what, you know, what games can you win on the road? You know, if, if the goal is to make the playoffs, the goal is to go, Six and two at home, four and four on the road. Um, you know, and I, I know, I know that's the old, that's the 16 game. So you got to get another win somewhere, right? You got to get mm-hmm. a seventh win or a fifth win on the road with the 17 game thing. We're still kind of adjusted to that. Where do you get it? And are you the, are you the best team in the AFC or are, 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 are you, sorry, are you not the worst team in the, in the AFC? So you theoretically, Rachel, you got to <laughs> I think you got to beat Vegas on the road. And, yeah. and maybe that's where Simmons does hurt you. Um, we'll see. Everybody I, I listen to about this say the biggest loss with Justin Simmons is communication. Yeah, and that, that can happen, man. It's not necessarily the physical play and, 
It's not like you hit your free safety on every play. It's you're not even in the box. You're kind of deeper. You're that center fielder, but you are the one directing everything in front of you. And that's where it can get embarrassing. This miscommunication in the secondary can get to blown calls and easy touchdowns. And they already had Justin was kind of like the cemented piece. They're already kind of questionable in the other areas besides Pat Sertan. You know, Ronald Darby, um, people have said he's going to see a lot of action because Sertan's on the opposite side of him. And we were expecting Justin to kind of move up over there to help cover too. So Caden Stearns is going to have to step up. That's the name that's been kind of linked to Justin Simmons. We'll see because I know they pulled some guys from practice squad to the 53-man roster as well and then signed some others. So, uh from what you've seen out of Caden Stearns, how confident are you that he can hopefully fill that void? I'm all right. I mean, Justin Simmons is paid to be one of the top two or three safeties in the entire league. I don't expect Caden Stearns to necessarily fill that void. He's okay. Uh, but but if, if the, the question is communication, we honestly have no clue mm-hmm. how they're going to be better in that department. I, I guess it would fall upon um, Kareem Jackson more than Caden Stearns. So Rachel, with this very young coaching staff, that's already shown some pretty poor coordination and communication skills in game one. This is a tricky one. This mm-hmm. is a big one. And like, you know what, Rachel, likely it will lead to some sort of mistake at some point in every game. So mm-hmm. you've got to probably be able to survive that mistakes that, wouldn't necessarily happen if Justin Simmons was there. It's tough. It's really tough. I mean, your core players on the Broncos are, of course, Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. Bradley Chubb, Garrett Bowles, Patrick Sertan, Justin Simmons. Mm-hmm. I mean, those – and then, you know, the running backs, they kind of divvy things up. And and even the wide receivers kind of have things split. Those are your core guys that are kind of irreplaceable. So it's a – it's a tough blow, Rachel. It's really tough. No, it is. And um, a shout out to Justin Simmons because this uh, actually hurt. Like he got hurt during the game on Monday night and just mm-hmm. played through it. So the fact that he's going on IR to mean to miss four weeks must mean there's something seriously wrong. They haven't really said. But also, it's kind of interesting how it got just kind of snuck in there at yesterday's yeah. presser. Like it wasn't a like a big thing. Like nobody tweeted out ahead of time. It was just kind of snuck in there, which I find to be kind of strange. It was interesting how it happened because everybody was still fixated on, you yeah. know, what the kick and the timeouts and all, all that sort of stuff. It's like, oh, you know, there's uh, Justin Simmons out, you know, he'll be healed in this. And this guy, that guy, the other guy. Like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what? what I, don't, I don't know why I was looking at a stick as a, as a, this is information. I, I, I should have picked up a piece of paper. Where's uh, the banana when you need it? Uh-huh. It's over there. It's over on the two ways to get it. So. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Love it, but losing him. I know we're we're getting the banana, everybody. We gotta get the call. We got questions about the kick still. Uh, but I did say we were gonna move on. But since Russell, hold on, hold on, Rachel. You can't. I mean, I'm sorry. What Simmons? Okay. Oh, Uh, I I said we were gonna move on, but we have to talk real quick because Russ did speak to the media yesterday. How would or how did you look at his reaction? Was it what you anticipated? I know we were talking after the show yesterday of him saying, you know, we trust Brandon McManus, what we thought was going to come out of his mouth, and we kind of hit it kind of on the head. I, I, I found it new information. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought <laughs> I, I feel a little silly because I was actually defending 
uh, the plan to a certain degree, like I was saying, and listen, I get it. Not a great plan, obviously, but at least it's a plan and everybody was focused on the plan. Then we find out it really wasn't a plan at all. Not really. It was something that was in Hackett's mind based on previous information. But Russell Wilson wasn't sitting there like, oh, we got to get to the 46 left hash. He was surprised by it. We did find out for sure that he was told in his headset and his helmet, we're kicking. Like he absolutely thought they were going to run a play. He Mm -hmm. was getting ready to call a play. When it was third and 14, it was in their minds, two plays for the first down. They've said repeatedly now, they didn't think Javante Williams would get as many yards. Third and 14, Rachel, I don't know, what do you want to get? Six, seven yards, Mm -hmm. right? To make it third and seven, third and eight, third and six, or fourth fourth and seven, six, whatever. And Javante Williams, it's all his fault. He's too good. He went too far. And Russell Wilson had no idea previously that they would try this insane kick, okay? And now I can call it an insane kick because it wasn't based on anything. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm led to believe that it was as stupid and as simple as, where are you good from, Brandon? I'm good from uh, 46 left hash. Okay, but what does that mean? And And in the context of the game with 50 seconds to go, Rachel, it's just plain stupid. I mean, no matter, I mean, call a timeout and at least talk about it. You know, um, you have nothing to lose in that situation and you can hash it out on the sideline. Should we kick it? Should we go for it? Have a conversation. But Russell Wilson was told we're kicking. So now what do you do? And now he goes to the line and he, and he, he did improvise. He tried to draw, well, he was going to try to draw the uh, Seahawks offsides, Rachel, but he couldn't communicate to all of his players what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And Cortland Sutton had no idea what was going on because everybody thought it was going to be a play. So Russell Wilson couldn't even fake the cadence because he would have risked a penalty. And here's what the crazy twist is. They would have been better off had they had a penalty because then, then it would have been fourth and 10 and certainly they would have gone for it. There's Strange twist to all of this. So what I find so funny in looking back on our post-game show, I was so critical of Javante because I was like, Javante, get the heck out of bounds so that the clock stops, right? So that they have some time to get ready to go for it. And I was so critical of it. But now it doesn't even make any sense to me. Like, one, I'm mad I, I said that because I'm like, oh, like I now see the full picture here. But why when you're like, oh, my gosh, you got more yardage than we thought he was going to? Why are you not using him again then to hopefully get the first down? It's not like, like, I don't know. There's just so many questions with the situation. Let's bring in our own Chandro Tartu from the late night show. Um, Cause again, we're all, just, we still have so many questions, but I did promise people we were going to move on. We are, we're, right. we're moving on. We're looking ahead to the Texans. Um, but I also want to talk a little bit about the avalanche because Sean, first of all, welcome. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Good. Hopefully you're not as frustrated as DMAC as I are after 30 seconds of talking about last week again. But we look ahead to the Texans. I promised everybody we're done talking about the Seahawks. We're looking ahead. But I do want to talk about the Avalanche because you wrote a really good article and people are wondering who the heck is going to fill Nazem Kadri's role. And you have a guy in mind that the Avalanche just signed. Yeah, this is a guy that I've been stumping for, quite frankly, all offseason. A player named Evan Rodriguez with Pittsburgh last year. 
uh, a talented player. It took a while for him to break out. In fact, there's a little bit like Nazem Kadri. Uh, he had his best career year playing with Pittsburgh this year. He's a guy that plays two ways. Uh, is an opportunistic scorer, right-handed shot, pretty good with the wrister. But the important part is that he can play all three forward positions. He's comfortable on either wing and at center. And so that means he can fill Kadri's spot as that second-line center. But as the season goes along, if Alex Newhook were to continue to ascend as a player and take that role, Rodriguez isn't necessarily in his way. You can move him to a wing. You can move him to a third line. He's a very useful player in that regard. And Jared Bednar, who's been very creative when it comes to line combinations, especially covering from injuries, could really use a guy like Rodriguez. It's a surprise he was still out there. He just kind of got caught in the middle of free agency. He's a player that probably should have gotten a multi-year deal. At the age of 29, he's still got a lot of hockey left. But the teams that were good didn't have a lot of cap money. The teams that were bad weren't interested in a guy that was almost 30. So it makes perfect sense that he waited for a team that was a good fit. In this case, it was the Avalanche, and the Avalanche are going to benefit from adding a pretty darn good player, especially given that we're only a week and change away from the beginning of training camp. Uh, it's so exciting. Uh, he did set a career high in goals last season with 19, 43 points for him too, like you mentioned, 29 years old. So can he fill somewhat of a void that Nazem Kadri has left now the Avalanche DMAC. Possibly. That would be expecting a lot. But but he might not have to. Again, when you have such a deep team like the Avalanche, you can kind of get away with things. Don't forget, Kadri was hurt for significant chunks of time. And Kadri mm-hmm. did slow down a little bit in the back half of the year. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it was Kadri. I, his, his clutch moments, you can't measure them. His heart, you can't measure it. Uh, what he did to inspire other teammates and lift everybody up, those are things you can't measure on a stat line. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. with, with I, I, But I wouldn't expect that of, of Rodriguez anyways. I, I don't expect that. that. That has to come from some other players in the future. This has to be, I mean, really, you know, you hope Alex Newhook can sort of be that guy, you know, in the future. You hope JT Comfer perhaps has that clutch gene and is able to do that. And, and frankly, you hope your big six, um, you know, is have a lot of that. You you hope you get that out of Lekkonen, Rantanen, um, uh, Natushkin, and never mind, you got Landis Gog and McKinnon. I mean, you go on. And, and there's another player, and we'll see what he contributes. Oscar Olofsson, who's like 19 or something, should be, I think, good to go. And we don't know what his potential is. So we will miss Cadre. We will miss the intangibles of Cadre, no doubt about it. But frankly, guys, the depth of the apps is, um, I mean, it's insane. So on the surface, this looks to be an unbelievable pickup because the real answer may be you don't have to replace Cadre. You just have to be um, a reliable, I guess, second-line center. I I assume that's where he's going to play most of the time. And you have to be productive to one degree, probably a second-line power play. And on the surface, it looks like a steal. Don't forget, Nchushkin was kind of going steamrolling down the, the, the garbage pail line before he came to the avalanche and got his career resuscitated. So we're seeing good growth from, from Rodriguez, and hopefully that just continues. Yeah, and a one-year, $2 million deal for him. Um, the Az are still the hot hand to win the Stanley Cup again next year. How much do you both believe that, Sean? You can go first. 
Oh, I think they're definitely the favorites. And as, as DMAC pointed out, there's going to be one probably young player that breaks in, whether it's Olison, whether it's Sample Ranta, whether it's Ben Myers. One of those younger players is probably going to break as one of the last forward spots to pick up where Burakovsky left. That's the spot that they're still looking to fill. But DMAC's exactly right. You don't necessarily have to. And he talked about the big six guys. Uh, the other part is Kale McCarr, who puts up forward right. numbers, of course. McCarr scores uh, at the numbers that a lot of forwards would love to have. So the Avs are, are loaded. They are deep. You can figure that some of their younger players may even be better. Uh, they're The only maybe question that you might have is Alexander Georgiev, the new goaltender that they got uh, from New York. He's a talented guy. I suspect you're going to get at least what you got out of Darcy Kemper, but we will see. He hasn't ever played this many games in the season the way the Avs want to lean on him, but they still have Pavel Francois. So, yes, this is the best team in the league. The depth is very, very good. There is some depth on the farm system, and the coaching is tremendous. So, goaltending questions a little bit, but the Avalanche had bigger goaltending questions coming into last year, and it didn't stop them from winning the Cup. The Cup... They're going to steamroll through 100 points in the regular season, and we'll see where that actually stops. They will be (laughs) – I assume they're going to win the Western Conference, and it's not going to be necessarily all that close. So then you get into the weird intangibles of the playoffs, and we shall see. You know, um, in the regular season, they're going to just plow through things. And and I would assume in the regular season, they'll try a lot of different things, a lot of different stuff. Don't forget, last year they were mixing and matching Rachel and Sean in the regular season up until the, you know, last week of the season. Yeah. You know, it was crazy. You know, once they enter the playoffs, they they hadn't played their full contingent together at all for a variety of reasons. Half the season, Gabe Landeskog was on the second line. I mean, so, so we – it's two seasons. It's two seasons with the Avalanche. We certainly know that. They will plow through the regular season. Uh, Yorviev, oh, holy, what is it, Sean? Yorviev, Georgie? Can I call him Georgie? Georgiev. <laughs> Georgiev, yeah. Georgiev. 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 You got 27 days to figure that one out, DMAC. Right. I'm calling him Georgie. I bet everybody calls him Georgie. I'll be shocked if the coaches and his teammates don't call him Georgie. Georgie uh, is going to face roughly 24 shots a game. I mean, you know, he's going to be all right. You know, you're, you're only going to give up two or three goals at the worst on 24 shots a game. Um, and, and with this defense, holy cow, guys. I mean, the scoring, it's not it, – I mean, Kale's number one, obviously. But you got Bo Byram and Sam Girard. You have two dynamic puck-handling offense – three, rather – offensive defensive players that are out of this world. And then you bring back Taves and Johnson – and who's our last guy on D, you think? Who's that? I mean. Josh Manson. Um, yeah, probably for the most part, Manson. Mm-hmm. I, I will. Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, I think Manson was a little up and down last year. I was glad to have him overall. But, you know, you got to get Curtis McDermott in there at some point. You know, you got to have a tough guy in there somewhere. So let's. Let's see what Josh Mann said. That, that actually will be interesting to watch. Yeah, definitely. Quick update, real quick. I was in the introductory press conference for Alexander Gorgiev. He did say to the media in Denver, he likes to be called Georgie. So we've got Frankie and Georgie. DMAC, you're good on that I one. I love it. Frankie and Georgie and the choo-choo train. 
Done. Choo choo train. Okay, we like it. We like it. Well, first of all, Sean, excellent article at DenverFan.com. If anybody wants to read it, check it out. Again, DenverFan.com. But let's move on to the Texans coming into the Mile High City. Other quarterback, Steven Nelson, made a comment about the altitude coming up here because he's very familiar with it when he played in the AFC West. And he said, that's funny because I've never played there when I played there when it's colder. It's never really affected me. I don't think it has. People say that when it's warmer out there, it kind of affects you a little bit. It'll be kind of interesting to see how that changes. Um, this sparks something because I'm born and raised here in Colorado, you guys. And I guess I have never once thought about the altitude when it's warmer or colder. And I just want to know if that's just me or has it affected you differently? I guess I just have never paid attention. I think the altitude thing is the most overrated, ridiculously hyped up, dumb thing. It comes to analyzing conditioning of, of athletes. I think it has an impact on curveballs and fly balls. And aside from that, I think it's a bunch of crap. I think it doesn't have anything to, nothing to do with nothing. Um, if you're in shape, you're in shape. And I don't think it impacts you all that much. I hear people complain about it or talk about it. And I'm really like, I, if you're complaining about it or talking about it, the only thing I can draw is you're, tra- you're probably not in that great of shape in the first place. Quick that, question. Yeah. Would you say I'm in good shape? I think you're in great shape. Thank you. I get altitude sickness. Fun fact. Where? Loveland Pass? Oh, yeah. Well, Driving okay. up there? Loveland Pass is a tw- Rachel, Loveland Pass is at 12,000 feet, basically. Yeah. I mean, okay, I've been a little bit out of breath climbing 14ers. I, I'm I mean, just telling you, I get altitude sickness, so I, I can tell you. Highlands Ranch, you don't. Thing. Wait, hold on. You, get, you, get, you go to Commerce City to watch the Rapids because I'm going soccer with you. You're, are you like, whoo? No, Ooh. but I get out of the suit. Like, I driving up to the mountains, I will 100% be safe. Yes! Driving up to the mountains! Yes! We're, 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 we're not playing. The, the, the NFL games are, are not being played at 10,000 feet. Yeah, I'm saying I was born and raised here, so if you were born and raised down at sea level and you have to come up, I'm only going, like, what, 6,000 more feet or whatever? Only 6,000 more feet? <laughs> It's, it's such, it is such point. a mind game. This is Dmax right. It is a mind game. There is a real effect uh, when you're talking about distance runners and things like that. But yes. the, the trick about it is, you ask most people who have not been to Colorado or are unfamiliar with Colorado, they think that Denver is in the mountains. That they're convinced <laughs> it's in the mountains. They're always confused when they get to Denver and they thought, "I thought we were in the mountains," and they see it over there in the west and they're all baffled by it. So you know what? Shh, nobody tell them. Right. Hey, if we're playing this game in Leadville, uh, let's talk. Uh, other <laughs> than that, I mean, give me a, whatever. I mean, if, if, if Sean's right. And by the way, if people don't know, there's signage in all of the stadiums in Denver talking about, you know, uh, awareness. Hello. You know, they, they make it clear when the opponent walks in that I think it's one of the great mind games of all time. I get it. If you're running a half marathon, Perhaps it has an impact, you know, but you're not. You're playing a explosion sport that goes hard for a very short period of time over and over for a period of three hours. It's it's ridiculous. Kicks are impact. Yeah, there you go. There it is. On behalf of the residents of Denver, Colorado, welcome to the mountain. Well, it's even, I think it's even worse inside of like uh, uh, Ball Arena where it's like warning. Mm-hmm. 
you, you know, you were entering altitude, you know. And there's always a promo video on it too, being like. How, how do we all walk around on a daily basis without passing out? Can, can you imagine being in downtown Denver, like on somewhere on the, the, the Pearl? Yeah, why don't we see tourists just passing out uh, on the Pearl Street Mall in Boulder? I mean, that's even a higher elevation. 16th Street Mall, where, where, are, the, where are the face masks with, with oxygen? Listen, I'm just saying, I believe in altitude sickness 100%. Yeah, when you go, when you go up high. I know, but I'm just saying I'm full blown uh, on it. But we're moving on because we've got a huge Thursday night AFC West matchup tonight. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> I'm really, really looking forward to it. Actually, as the Chargers head out to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Who you guys got? Are you anticipating overtime? Are you anticipating close game, a blowout? What's you feeling, Sean? I think the Chiefs are the better team, but I think this is going to be an outstanding game. And for the Broncos fans, it's one you want to pay attention to because these two teams are the ones you're going to have to try to climb over. At least one of them you're going to have to try to climb over, and that's going to be a task. These are both uh, outstanding quarterbacks, both top five guys. Uh, the Chiefs, I think, have been there and done that. There's value to it. But don't underestimate the kind of play that Justin Herbert has added over the last couple of seasons. He's been extraordinarily impressive playing at a very – very high and efficient level. Injuries are going to matter in this. Keenan Allen is not available for the Chargers. And their kicker, Harrison Butker, for the Chiefs is out. So that may matter in both of these cases. But I, I'm excited to see that game. And, of course, I'll be on right after it ends because we're airing it on the fan. Uh, the, there's only two teams in the league that you somebody's going to have to prove they're better than them before you pick against them. And that's the Bills and the Chiefs this year. So you just you just pick – the Bills or the Chiefs until somebody proves otherwise. That's kind of the end of that conversation. Those were the only two teams, I believe, in week one who proved to be what we all thought they were. Um, other than that, the first week was kind of a mishmash of, I mean, it was exciting, it was entertaining, but it was incredibly unpredictable, and, and it was hard to get a gauge on any team, in all honesty, except for the Bills and the Chiefs. Who I I was not able to watch either of those games um last weekend, but who has the better defense? Do you think, Sean? Oh, the better defense belongs to the Bills. Certainly, the Bills have the. No, ability. I'm talking between the Chargers and the Chiefs. I'm sorry. Oh, the Chargers and the Chiefs. Uh, boy, you know that's the funny part because that's the problem for each team. I mm -hmm. think what the Chargers have done in bringing in a guy like Khalil Mack and putting him next to Joey Bosa and having the opportunity to pass rush, I'm intrigued there. Derwin James, if he's healthy, obviously is a difference maker. Today, health considering, I will say the Chargers have the better defense, but I don't know how much it's by. And obviously with these two teams being able to score at the rate that they do, the defense actually probably isn't going to make an enormous amount of difference. The yards between the 20s are cheap, and these two teams will take advantage of it. But yeah, if you were to ask me straight up, I think there are more playmakers on the Chargers defense. That's why I picked them. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, it's it's the world's tallest short guy competition. I mean, kind of who knows who cares. You know, the, the score of this game may be like 44-37. So who had the better defense there? It may not matter because both of their offenses are so dynamic. Keenan Allen being out is actually, to, to me, Keenan Allen being out makes the Chiefs defense probably a little bit better. I think on the surface, Rachel, to answer the question, probably the Chargers. But again, it's hopefully – we see a really fun, high-scoring game from, from both teams. That's what I'm sort of pulling for. Hopefully, both teams' defenses kind of stink. Hopefully, we see that because that would bode well for the Broncos. 
That's why I bring up the defense is because I do think it's going to be high scoring. And I think it's whoever's going to have the better defense of the night. That's obviously who's going to come out and win because I think they're both going to let up a lot of points. So it's going to be very interesting. Sean, thanks so much for hanging out. I do appreciate it. But now we got to bring in a Houston reporter radio from um, Sports Radio 610, Sean Pendergast, because um, we need to talk a little bit about this Texans team. Sean, hello. How are you? Hey, what's happening, Rachel DMAC? What's happening? Not much. Thanks so much for taking some time. I appreciate it. Um, our former um, executive producer out there or was in Denver, now with you guys out in Houston, Parker Hillis. We love him. Um, so I'm glad he was able to help us set this up. But we need to – Max, like, he's all right, you know. Uh, but we need to talk about the Houstons because they obviously walk away with a tie on the Colts, something I don't think anyone was expecting week one to see. Um, should the Broncos or Bronco fans be nervous about this team or – are they the Texans we're all kind of expecting them to be? This you know, I think it, it's probably the, the Texans that I think people are expecting nationwide, I think, is different than the Texans that we saw through training camp and maybe for the first three quarters of that game against the Colts. I, I do think that people are just sort of conceding that the Texans are going to be the worst team. They're penciling them in for the first pick in the draft. And I think they're probably undervaluing a little bit the, the rookie class that they've put together. They had a really good draft class that a lot of guys that are contributing right away. Um, and, and they've got a lot of veterans on the team. Davis Mills is in his second year. I'm, I'm not leading up to them winning 10 games or anything with this, you know, <laughs> this lead up that I'm doing right here. I don't think it's the worst team in football. I don't think it's a very good team. And my guess is that on Sunday, the Broncos will probably, though, see something closer to what everybody around the country is expecting from the Texans. Because I just think, I think on either side, I think the Texans, there may be a little bit of a letdown after that tie. As somebody who was in the stadium and did the postgame show afterwards, I can tell you the phone calls we got after that game, it felt like a loss. Lovey Smith choosing to punt in overtime oh. uh, from midfield mm-hmm. on fourth and three was something that did not sit well with the fans. So it felt like a loss. I don't know how it felt to the players. But I think the more intriguing thing is on y'all side of it, on the Denver side of things, there's no way that the Broncos can go 0-2 to start the season and have the two losses be to two of the worst five or six teams in football. Not, not with the schedule that's coming the next four weeks after that, which I'm sure you guys have broken down three primetime games over the next four weeks after that. And then just the AFC West. You know, you, you can't be losing games to the Seahawks and the Texans and be expected to compete in in you know what is just a it's a 14 gauntlet it's crazy um so I think they're going to get the best version of the Broncos is my guess you guys follow the team closer than I do but I I am expecting a serious serious uphill climb for the Houston Texans on Sunday what what did the Texans change that's the most significant in a positive way Sean um since last season DMAC yeah I, I would say just the infusion of youth um you got to understand this organization was left with no assets when Bill O'Brien got fired and when he was done ruining this team for a year as the general manager. Like he he dropped a nuclear bomb on the roster of this team, which is all the first round. He traded a two firsts and a second for Laramie Tunsil, who's been a fine player. He's good, but two firsts and a second. He gave out all sorts of bad contracts, which Nick Casario – like Nick Casario should have walked into the building with a hazmat suit on when he got hired. It, it was – the salary cap was messed up. They had a bunch of bad contracts to bad players, like big contracts, and they had no draft capital. They didn't draft last year, 2021, until uh, until the 67th pick overall. That's the pick they used on Davis Mills. They didn't pick till the third round. And oh, by the way, 
their quarterback didn't want to be on the team anymore the day that Nick Casario got there. Oh, no, by the way, when they went to trade him, he started getting sued left and right by women all over Houston and Atlanta and Phoenix and everywhere else in between. So they had to wait a year to trade Deshaun Watson. They finally trade him. So I would say, just to answer your question, DMAC, the, the biggest change is they finally had a real draft this past right. year. You know, they finally had, they had two first-round picks. They had two second-round picks. They had nine picks overall. They've actually found a few undrafted guys that made the team and contribute to this team. Um, so you, you're going to see on Sunday, Derek Stingley Jr. and Jalen Petrie, their first and second-round picks in the secondary. Stingley, of course, the, the third overall pick from LSU. Petrie was a second-round safety out of Baylor, Big 12 Player of the Year, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. They played every snap, all 92 snaps of that Colts game. They played every single snap. So you're going to see number 24, number five, a ton of them on Sunday. Kenyon Green was their other first-round pick. He is slowly starting to become the regular at left guard for them. So a lot of new faces, and it looks like they – early on, it looks like he's got it right. So that's the biggest thing is Texan fans finally – DMAC and Rachel, there are finally jerseys that people want to buy in the, in the team store. You know what Bye. I mean? Like, and, and it sounds like really trite praise. But we used to clown it. Seth Payne and I walking out to do the pregame show. We do it like right outside the stadium there. We would have to walk by the team store kiosk to get to the stage that we do the pregame on. We used to take pictures clowning the four jerseys that they had up there that they were asking people to buy. Like we would ask people going by, do you know who this guy is? Do you know who this guy is? Like it was, it was that bad. So um, it's, it's just a more exciting group to root for. It's not going to equate to a ton of wins this year, but things are moving in the right direction. You bring up Deshaun Watson, so I have to ask, because it's going to be one of the biggest storylines when he comes back um, week 13 or week 11, whatever it is, after his suspension. 13, yep, yep. Um, of course, the NFL doing a nice little one on that. Um, but what will the reaction be, do you anticipate, that week? Is it going to be just gnarly all throughout the game, even if the Texans don't win a single game up until that, or – how, just how are you expecting the fans to react? Yeah, you saw the reaction Russell Wilson got in Seattle yeah. this, this past Monday, obviously. Um, that's going to look like a, a, a one-year-old's birthday party compared to what Deshaun Watson's getting in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that, 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 was, uh, that, was a, that was a love tap compared to what Deshaun's going to get uh, uh, in Houston. It's going to be vicious. It's going to be loud. He is public enemy number one here in Houston. There's even the even the people who were hanging on to the Deshaun thing to the bitter end have really kind of come around on the whole thing. And I think what really soured everybody was and I think what soured a lot of people around the league was the contract that the Browns gave him, you know, 230 million bucks, all fully guaranteed. Uh, It's, you know, um, it when Deshaun first asked for the trade, it was in January. It was literally the day that Nick Casario's hire was announced. And by and large, Houston was in his corner because the team had been so poorly run for the previous couple of years with Bill O'Brien and with Jack Easterby. Um, when the lawsuits started flying, I think there was a lot of confusion at first. Like, okay, this isn't the Deshaun we know. What is this? And then once once the details start to settle in, it, it's the, the tide very quickly turned against Deshaun. And then when he was still with the team last year, I mean, talk about weird. Like, he was at practice in training camp last year with this team, knowing full – getting sued, knowing full well he wasn't going to play. There were practices where he was, like, doing the skeleton scout team safety thing. Like, he was the one standing back there in walkthroughs as a safety with, like, the shower cap on top of his helmet, you know? Like, it was just weird. Like, the whole thing – and then you add on the top of that that David Culley was the head coach. Mm -hmm. Like – 
my God, I feel like I, I, this is like therapy for me right now. Like this is, there's, there's a lot coming out here, you know? Um, but David Culley, completely overwhelmed head coach, the whole thing, and you look back at it and I, you know, in talking conversations like this, the whole thing in 2021 felt like a fever dream. Like it was, it was crazy. So, um, so I, I say all that, Rachel, to say that Deshaun Watson is going to get booed like crazy on December the 4th. December the 4th, noon kick. We've all got it circled. We've got a countdown clock going on. Everybody, because there's not a whole lot else to, to really kind of circle on the Texans calendar this year, mm-hmm. you know, schedule-wise. We know the deal. They're not making the playoffs. So that one is one that, as the husband of a season ticket holder, I was happy that his suspension was ending right before the Cleveland game because we'll at least recoup some of the costs on the season tickets if, if Amy chooses not to go to the game. Listen, th- this is what's important, Sean. You guys can just focus on your cheating Astros to, to win another uh, World Series. Uh, that's what the citizens of Houston can really this, dial in on. This wasn't on the format. Where did this come from? <laughs> D-Mac throwing curveballs. D-Mac with an RKO out of nowhere, man. Oh, my gosh. Um, I guess I've got another question, though, for you. It's funny because we've talked so much about Melvin Gordon, Devontae Williams here in Denver. You know, this young back coming in, Melvin yeah. Gordon not going to get as many carries when it kind of looks like they're going to get 50-50. And it seems like that's kind of the same scenario for you guys out in Houston, too. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. That's the, the two biggest things this week in Houston – and you guys can relate to the first one was the head coaching decision in overtime. You know, I'm sure that's been the talk at Denver all week long has been uh, Nathaniel Hackett's decision to kick the field goal. Obviously um, same thing here. Lovey Smith's decision to punt, which while probably more mathematical basis that it was an okay decision to take a tie, people just hate ties. They wanted to go for a win. You're the Texans. The other one was exactly what you're asking me about Rachel, which is the usage of the running backs. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want it to be the way that it was against the Colts. We don't want Rex Burkhead to be getting 19 touches and Damian Pierce, who you're referring to, the fourth-round rookie out of Florida, who is outstanding in the preseason and who's got a personality that's off the charts. He's beloved here uh, already, you know, just uh, one training camp and one week into his career. He only got 12 touches in the game. And in the most crucial down of the game, the third and one at midfield in overtime, they had to have it down. They had Rex Burkhead in there carrying the football and not Damian Pierce. And you wind up with fourth and three. That's how you go from third and one to fourth and three. So we're kind of hoping that while we don't want them to run Damian Pierce into the ground, because the last thing you want to do is give 250 touches to a rookie running back so you can go five and 12. <laughs> you know, like it, there's an odometer on these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but we, we certainly want to see Damian Pierce in the high leverage situations like short yardage, goal line, and then obviously getting the, the, the majority of the carries, not all of them, you know, maybe 18 to 20 touches in the passing game and, and in the run game. But the Rex Burkhead thing has been a huge topic as well. He's, he's a, I think it's fair to ask, like, would Rex Burkhead be playing, not starting, playing for any other team in the NFL other than the Texans, who obviously has a history with, people in the front office here. So that's, that's been a huge, huge topic here in Houston. So so what we see with Houston, it's a young developing team that there's plenty of optimism and you got rid of the, the, the awfulness. And you know what, at some point they're going to be better. At least there's a sense of optimism. You can't lose to the Texans this week. If you're the Denver Broncos, No, it's, it's not the Texans time yet. No, I mean, perhaps it is coming uh, but not Sunday. I mean, it would be a, it would be an abysmal loss for the Broncos. And and again, this is another situation. 
The Texans don't have any pressure in this game. Nope. Like, I don't really think the Seahawks had much pressure. All the pressure rests on the Broncos to win the games they should win. Yeah. And any, anything but a kind of a controlling win, I'm not going to say a butt kicking, but just like a controlling win by the Broncos would be somewhat of a disappointment. Somewhat would be a massive disappointment. Sean's yeah. playing it out. Yeah, I think I think here's what you need to know, too, just about the Texans side of things, DMAC, is that they are coming in having played – their defense was on the field for almost the whole second half of that game against the Colts. They were on the field for literally, like, practically the entire fourth quarter. Yeah, of that 92 game. plays? 92, 92 plays. And that's been a big thing I've been kind of leaning on in my prediction for this game this week. Is It's the reason why I think the Broncos – this is the reason why I think what you're looking for you're going to get on Sunday is because – 92 plays, you had all of the players that are prominent sort of fixtures on that defense played every – every guy in the secondary, the start, the four starters in the secondary played every snap of the game, literally. Petrie and Jonathan Owens at safety and then Steven Nelson and Derek Stingley Jr., they played all 92 snaps. Their two inside linebackers, Common Gruger-Hill and Christian Kirksey, played all 92 snaps. And now you're going to altitude to face a team that is in a must-win situation yes right this okay so is this a thing now like if i'm a guest and i come on and i mention altitude is this uh... Sean, we were literally just talking about this because steven nelson had that quote talking about altitude and coming up because okay west and stuff. so we were just talking about it and dmac doesn't think it's a thing no it's the greatest mind game that we play on everybody else it's really not that big of a deal but but hey you think it's a big deal the players think it's a big deal. I mean, fine. Right. I mean, right. hey, you don't come here. You're all gonna die. Hey, well, don't, don't, just to be clear, I used to, I lived in Parker for three years back in the early 2000s. So I so I, I've been there, and I think you, we can all we're amongst friends here. It's me trying to sound smart, right? Like it's, that's all this is. It's it's me trying to have a handicapping angle on this game. So so this is where. I bring put it up again. Put it put the picture up again. Give it to me. Altitude. Yep, there it is. Altitude sickness is real. Altitude sickness, beware. Yeah. Um, the Texans, be sure. Hydrate, right? You gotta hydrate. Extreme fatigue. Yeah. Loss of energy. Uh, yes. yes, yes. And then on top of that, you got the corniness of Russell Wilson, too. So that's gonna affect you. That's gotta have a detrimental. The corniness of Russell Wilson. Yes, he's corny as hell. <laughs> Wait. What? <laughs> we had no idea. No. I don't know so if you guys noticed. Today, Wait, I, okay, so how, let me ask you guys this. What, what's the feeling on the contract for Russell Wilson? Oh, it, uh, fantastic. Whatever. Yeah, Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, uh, Joe Flacco, Case Keenum, Trevor yep. Simeon, blah, 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 blah. Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, yep. whatever. Back yep. up the Briggs truck. Yeah. And here's why, Sean. At the end of the day, if you want to compete in the NFL, unless you have some sort of historically good defense, okay, yep. you're going to need a $40 million a year quarterback. You're going to need, well, frankly, one that makes $40 million or one you think will earn $40 million. Yeah, So yeah. whether you draft them or you acquire one, there's only so many of these guys out there. Hey, man, Davis Mills, great story, okay? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, really? Is that it? Is that the plan? Really? And it, it, no, they, and and it's and you know, 
and I'm with you. I, I fully expected you guys to be all about the contract. It was funny. We had some fun with it just because it was it's so quick into the relationship. You know, we were saying like they don't even they're so early. They don't even know if Russell Wilson leaves the toilet seat up yet. You know, they don't know if he leaves his dirty clothes in the middle of the hallway. Like it's very early. But in the it doesn't matter. He's the the shiny new boyfriend. Yes. Like, I've dated all the losers. Right. I know this guy can buy me a ring one day. I'm yeah. here for it. It doesn't matter. He's, he's smoking hot. I don't care if he's superficial and corny. Yeah, snap, snap, snap. Absolutely. Our, you, know, you bring up Davis Mills. Like, just so you know what prism we're looking at all these games through here in Houston. Um, it's like 17 referendums on Davis Mills is all it is. We, we do a thing on our show each week now on Tuesday called the Davis Mills Replaceometer. And we measure on a scale of one to 10, like where we are on replacing Davis Mills with Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or any of the big college quarterbacks. Cause the Texans are going to have two first round picks. This just in one of them will probably be pretty high. I would think. And the other one is Cleveland, which has a chance to, you know, who knows what their pick is going to be. So yeah, we do a Davis Mills replaceometer every Tuesday. It's on a scale of one to 10, one being uh, we are in a long-term relationship and 10 being, you know, hit the bricks. Uh, we're at, a, I believe we were at a 7.24 this week. So in, based largely on him going 0 for 4 in the fourth quarter on pass attempts against the Indianapolis Colts. Couldn't make Well, the, the, the last third round pick that really made a long-term splash in the NFL, as far you. as I can tell, is Russell Wilson. Yeah. So if yeah. you think Davis Mills is in the Russell Wilson category, then then cool. Um, you know, the, the problem he has to worry about is altitude is a bigger problem for him than everybody because of his neck. Neck, yeah, he's pretty good. He's he's pretty good natured about that. Um, our midday show brought up the neck memes to him at training camp. Like in an, you know, we, they give us we, we do our shows out at training camp, and they bring players to us after practice, and they brought Davis over to their show. So our midday show asked him about all the neck memes, and he said his favorite one was the one where for each like on the tweet, they'll add a foot to his neck, and at the end of the day. At the end of the day, they had this picture of, like, the skyline of Houston with Davis Mills, like, neck snaking around all the buildings and his gigantic head, like, like hovering above the city. Um, and he said his mom told him he needs to get a turtleneck endorsement, which I really, as a radio host, I really respected that. Oh Product placement, baby. Yeah. That is too good. Sean, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for all the insight. We love having you. We'll definitely get you on again. Anytime, anytime, guys. Appreciate you sending us all these program directors here. You guys are like the uh, cradle of program directors here at Sports Radio 610. We so. love Parker 100%. All right, going behind Emily, enemy lines with Sean Pendergast right there. Um, DMAC, before we go, though, real quick, I do want to talk about um, Roger Federer retiring. It's like two goats in two weeks mm. with on the tennis field or on the tennis court, excuse me, with Serena Williams. Serena Williams, my goodness, and now Peter, I'm or Roger. Wow, I can't talk anymore. My my 45 minutes are over, and now I just can't talk anymore. But two goats, two weeks, announcing that they're stepping away. I actually uh, just read this morning that Serena's actually thinking about it a little bit. So maybe maybe that's not. Oh. I mean, well, that's just what I read. So that would be knows? like Gronk and Tom Brady. Yeah, what? you know, here's here's my tribute to Roger Federer. I mean, what will we do without more boring superstars? So um, congratulations to Roger Federer for having a Pete Sampras-like boring career uh, that was filled with excellent and wins and put us put us all to sleep. Way to he go, won Roger. a lot. 20 grand slams, over 1,500 matches. He does it. Serena, obviously, a goat as well. So congratulations if she does come back, though. Interesting. Hopefully 
Um, nothing happens with family. Obviously, we know what's going on with Tom Brady, but that's going to do it for Coffee Break today. We're back 1030 tomorrow morning. Make sure you tune in to Orange and Blue today at 330 with Cecil and Mace. They break down everything happening at the Broncos. Are you mocking me? No, I'm just trying to find out the new information. Oh, he's figuring out Serena's actually staying retired, everybody. That's going to do it. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 1030 a.m. Bye, everyone.